Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. How we doing? Happy Palm Sunday. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, I, uh, I played on the middle school football team in my hometown. It was a great time for once uh, in our life. We had a very good team. And uh, we were uh, coming to the end of the season, and we were in the, um, uh, in the semifinal round uh, playing for a spot in the championship game uh, of the league, the league championship. And so uh, Saturday came around for that game, and we got up that morning at my house, and my dad said, son, what time you need to be at school? What time's the bus leave? I said, daddy, the bus leaves at 6 o'clock, and I've got to be there at 545. He said, you sure? That sounds a little late to me. Yes, sir, I'm sure. Biggest game of my life, you know, sixth grade. Biggest game of my life. I know when it's going to be. Coach Austin said that we would be on the bus at 545, and at 6 o'clock the bus is leaving whether you're there or not. If you're not on the bus, you don't get to play. And so he said, okay, sounds good. So uh, about 530, we rolled into the parking lot. I'm going to be early. Nobody's there. Bus. I thought, wow, I'm early. I beat the coach. And uh, so dad hung around a little bit, and I said, let me walk down to the field house. I walked down to the field house, the door's locked. Nobody's there, so I'm ready to go, waiting on my coaches, waiting on the team. 5.45 rolled around. Six o'clock. 6.15. 6.30. The bus left at 5. So dad said, well, get in the car. We'll ride on down. So we rode down to, to Bowden, about 15 miles away. We were playing the Red Devils in that game. And uh, uh, all my buddies were on the field playing. And uh, I sat in the stands, watched the whole game. They did great, by the way. We did win the game. We did win the championship. But I didn't get to play. I missed my chance. I missed the opportunity. I squandered the opportunity. I couldn't roll back time. I couldn't say, let, I didn't have a do-over. I couldn't get on the bus. I missed the whole thing. As I thought about these things this week, I was reminded of the events of the day of the very first Palm Sunday that we remember and celebrate today. It's such an important day in the life, in the ministry, in the person, in the work, in the teachings of Jesus that all four witnesses in the Bible uh, speak uh, and describe this, this happening. Call, we call it the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at the account in Luke's Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, third book in the New Testament, uh, starting in verse uh, chapter 19, about verse uh, 28. And you'll find it there. I want to give you time, if whether you're looking it up on your digital copy or your hard copy of your Bible. Bring them every week. We're going to use them. Basically, what I'm doing is teaching you to read the Bible for yourself. And so, uh, Luke chapter 19. Well, in Luke's gospel, in Luke's account of the person in the life in the teachings of Jesus, uh, we find this triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Now, again, on what we call Palm Sunday... Here's the setting. What we call on Palm Sunday, Jesus and His disciples were on their way to Jerusalem 
And about two miles outside the city, they came to the little village of Bethany, about two miles outside of old Jerusalem. And uh, he sent his disciples to uh, acquire the services of a donkey, actually the foal of a donkey, a, a young donkey that had never been ridden by anyone else. And when they secured the donkey, his disciples, you'll, you'll read there, took off their robes and put it on the back of the donkey, creating kind of a saddle. And they, they put Jesus on that donkey and they began to descend down the Mount of Olives uh, toward the city of Jerusalem. Now, they weren't the only ones there. This was the time of the Passover festival. Uh, and they were part of a great number, uh, a great, great crowd of Jewish pilgrims who were, had traveled uh, to uh, experience the Passover festival and the, fe- and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread uh, in Jerusalem. Because that's, that's, if, you, if you wanted to celebrate it right, you came to Jerusalem. So he was among a, a large, large number uh, of people. Now the Passover... Uh, was celebrated, and then the seven days following, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrated. Now, the Passover was one of the first of three great worship festivals that the Jewish people uh, observed uh, each each year, and uh, this was one of the biggest. So, uh, as they as they entered the um, approached Jerusalem on this donkey. All the people around Jesus, seeing him, what he's doing. Now, I want, you to see your, I want you to see your eyes just a minute. This was a big deal. This was a big, big deal. You might say, okay, he's like, didn't everybody ride donkeys? I mean, like Mary, Joseph, you know, everybody, all these stories, people are on a donkey. Weren't other people riding donkeys? What, what's the big deal? Here's, here's the big deal. This Jesus, by this act of getting on this donkey in front of everybody when the greatest number of people possibly could see him, uh, they knew of him because he was very famous for his teachings and his miracles over the past three years. And as he entered Jerusalem, he was declaring, he wasn't just riding a donkey into town, he was declaring openly, radically, uh, brazenly himself to be the Messiah sent from God. Here's how we know that. If you go turn back to the uh, Old Testament prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we find this, uh, we find this prophecy uh, there that proclaimed these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was a messianic prophecy. This was an Old Testament prophecy as to what the Messiah would do and how the people of God would recognize the Messiah when He came. Jesus was declaring Him to be no less than the Messiah sent from God. And at this point, people, some people were rejoicing uh, over over Jesus. His disciples, the twelve, plus many other people who had believed in and decided to follow Jesus, uh, they just they couldn't contain themselves. And they got out of control. They began to praise God because they knew what Jesus was doing. 
They knew what Jesus was doing. They knew he was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. And they had been saying all along, what are you waiting for? Christmas? I mean, all, all three uh, years from time to time, his disciples would come to him and say, now, Lord, is now the time? Is now the time you're going to step up and step out and declare yourself to be the Messiah and take your rightful place as the ruler of our people and set us free? Is now the time? He said, now, now the time. Not the time. It's not my time. Remember how often he said, it is not my time. 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 But there he said, okay. It's my time. And they said, he is stepping up now. He is stepping up now. And they, they, they praised God and they threw their robes on the, on the, uh, on the pathway and uh, celebrated what he was doing. Listen to this in verse 36. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. Why? For all the miracles they had seen. Underline that. We're going to come back to that. The king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now these were all the people who rejoiced over Jesus. These were all the people who believed in Jesus. These were the people who had decided to follow Jesus. These were the people who were all, the already convinced prior to this day. The ones who had received Jesus, they recognized Jesus. You see, these were the people who had heard him teach and had witnessed witnessed his, uh, his Messiah-like miracle-working uh, power. These were the people in the crowd, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, many of them who had, who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and they'd never stopped talking about it. No doubt in the crowd were some of those who had seen Jesus heal the blind man named Bartimaeus. In that crowd, no doubt, there were possibly the four friends who let their crippled friend down through a hole in the roof into a crowded home in front of Jesus and saw him restore him, forgive his sins and restore his ability to stand and walk. No doubt in that crowd were some of the many people who had witnessed Jesus take the lunch of a, of a little boy, a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish, and multiply that and feed over 5,000 people. Uh, everything that these people had did in this scene was an act of worship. It was an act of praise. It was an act of, it was an act of rejoicing. Now, Matthew in his account and Mark in his gospel uh, add that not only did people put their robes down, but people began to cut palm branches off and lay them in the road, which is kind of, you know, where we get the name. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. An act of worship. And these people didn't praise Jesus and uh, worship Jesus just because they decided they wanted to. They had evidence that He was who He claimed to be. They had heard His teaching and they had seen His miracle working power. You see, our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is a, a faith based on evidence. And these people had that kind of faith. But they were not the only group of people on the road. There was another group of people who did not rejoice at Jesus, but they were a group of people who wanted to rebuke Jesus and His disciples. Take a look at verse uh, 39. Look at it with me. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now the Pharisees were a, uh, a Jewish 
religious group, a, a, a subset of the Jewish faith that most of the time were in uh, direct opposition to Jesus uh, and His claims and His teaching. Uh, the, the Pharisees were separatists. They were separatists. Uh, they held to a, a, a strict, narrow, dogmatic interpretation of the Levitical law, the law of Moses given in the first five books of the Old Testament. A very, very strict, very, very dogmatic interpretation. And anyone who did not hold to their same interpretation, they considered to be unclean, they considered to be theologically out of bounds, and they were not to have anything to do with them, and they would, uh, they would reject them. And so... The Pharisees, across the public ministry of Jesus, paid a lot of attention to Jesus. Now, they didn't do everything wrong. In fact, I admire them for this, in that when a teacher would come along, they, they listened to him analytically. And they, 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 they spent time, many of them invited Jesus into their home for meals where they had spiritual and theological uh, discussions. But bottom line is they came to the conclusion that he was not the Messiah and they rejected him. And so they were uh, opposed to Jesus at this point uh, because they didn't believe in him. They decided not to follow Jesus, not to follow him. They fully understood at that point on that day that first Palm Sunday, what Jesus was symbolizing and what He was declaring when He got on that donkey and rode into Jerusalem. They knew He was saying, Zechariah 9 is written all over me, all over my robe. I am the Messiah. And they didn't like it and they rebuked Him. And they, uh, uh, they opposed Him. They wanted Him to tell His disciples to stop doing what they were doing. But Jesus didn't. He said, no, this is... This is true. But then a very strange thing happened. In the midst of all of this great throng of people and all of this praising and all of this rejoicing and people shouting and people just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, so excited to hear this. Even those who weren't sure who He was, they knew He was a miracle worker. They knew He was famous. And they're like, like a bunch of Americans. Anybody that's famous, we get excited about looking at them. I don't know why, but we do. We do. There's something in us humans that needs help. And so, uh, but in the midst of all of that excitement about Jesus, he begins to weep. Look at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, actually, the, when we think of weep, we think of a nice little, you know, uh, tidy little, you know, dry your eye kind of thing. No, 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 no. This, this is a word that is better translated. He began to wail. He began to sob. He began to lament loudly. Jesus burst into a gut-wrenching, uncontrollable sob. The sobs of a man filled with grief. It's the same kind of uh, word that's used to describe a man lamenting the tragic death of a wife or, a, or of a precious child. And many of, you, many of us have lived long enough that we've had those great gut-wrenching sobs of grief come out of our mouths over some circumstances that we were suffering. This is what Jesus did. This is what He was doing. In the midst of this triumphant procession into Jerusalem, while the crowd was rejoicing, Jesus was weeping. Well, why, Pastor? Why? Here's why. Verse 42. He was crying because it was too late for the people of Jerusalem. 
It was too late for the vast majority of the people who called Jerusalem their home. Look at verse 42. He said, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem had had their chance as God came near to them, but they passed over the opportunity. Evidently, most of the city of Jerusalem passed over the opportunity to know and follow uh, Jesus, to believe in Him. And it was now too late for them. Their opportunities were over. They had said no to Jesus. They had snubbed Jesus. They had rejected Jesus. Some of them intentionally, others just with indifference. That's just in, just indifferent to Jesus. They showed up at six, but the bus left at five. No matter where Jesus looked, he, he saw reasons to cry. Everywhere he looked, that he saw he saw reasons to weep. If he looked back, he saw how the nation had squandered its opportunities and had been ignorant again or intentionally indifferent to the time where God Himself showed up in the flesh, came to them for redemption. If he looked within in their hearts, he saw spiritual ignorance. He saw a, a blindness in the hearts of people. They, they should have known who He was because for hundreds and hundreds of years, God had sent His Word, God had through, through the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all testifying to Jesus. And, and, and finally, He had sent no less than John the Baptist there as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, get ready, the kingdom of God is near, one who's coming, and he's, the Messiah is coming. They should have known who He was. If he looked around, he had another reason to cry because he saw all of this religious activity that accomplished very little. I mean, the temple had become a den of thieves, as we will see in a few weeks. Uh, the religious leaders themselves were out to kill him. Uh, the city was filled with religious pilgrims, pilgrims celebrating the festival, but, but for many of them, their heart was not really in it. It was going through the motions. It was empty religious expression and experience for, for much of them. Much like we have today. See, this week kicks off Holy Week worldwide. And here in North America, you're going to see this week a, a lot of religious activity and a lot of people involved with it um, all across this next week leading up to Easter weekend. But much of it is hollow. Much of it is rote and routine. Much of it means nothing. And Jesus, and it broke his heart. It broke his heart and he, he wept. And then as Jesus looked ahead, he had another reason to cry. He had a great reason to weep. He wept because he saw the terrible consequences that were coming to the nation, to the city, uh, to the temple, as a direct result of saying no to Jesus. Take a look at verse, nine, uh, verse 43 and 44. Look at it. Jesus said, For the days will come on you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children uh, within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another. Because, why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not recognize the time when I showed up, God came to earth in the form of a man, came to save you. You did not recognize it. Now you can read 
the account of this in the writings of uh, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus. Uh, He writes that in A.D. 70, approximately 40 years after Jesus declared this through through His tears, about 40 years later, that uh, the Roman army led by Titus came and, and, and lay siege against the city of Jerusalem for 143 days. And on the 143rd day, they broke through the walls of Jerusalem and they slaughtered men, women, and children, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Josephus says 1.1 million, but some say maybe he got a little excited there. Uh, Some say there weren't very many more than that living in Palestine, but it was thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and the thousands that remained, they took them away into captivity. And then they destroyed the city. They burned everything that could possibly burn and literally left not one stone stacked upon another. You can still see some of the rubble. Jesus wept. What Jesus proclaimed with great tears came to pass 40 years later. Why? Why, Pastor? He says here, because they did not recognize the time when God Himself came to offer their salvation in the form of Jesus. They said no. They came at six, but the bus left at five. They had squandered their opportunity. It was too late. They missed the bus. And Jesus wept because they'd squandered their last chance. Jesus wailed because He, was com- he is compassionate on sinful, messed up, rebellious people. He, uh, he wept because their fate broke His heart. He wept because He takes no pleasure in people perishing and choosing to go to hell for eternity. He, uh, the Bible says in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And the consequences of saying no to Jesus ultimately, finally, for the Jewish people were severe and long-lasting. Severe and long-lasting. And and so let me say to you as your friend and your pastor, for most of you, some of you I don't know, but let me say to you, um, it's possible for it to be too late for you. It is possible. And the consequences of ultimately, finally rejecting Jesus are so severe in this life and permanent in the next life that I, you ha- I beg you, I, I plead with you to be reconciled with God through faith in Christ before it's too late for you. And someone says, ah, oh, there you go, you preachers. Pulling that too late thing, it might be your only chance. You just try to scare the hell out of people. Well, I am trying to scare you out of hell. Because this is, this is reality. You say, well, what, okay, well, what are the consequences, Pastor? Okay, here they are. First of all, first consequence of rejecting Jesus is a separation, the separation from a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ in this life and the next. Getting to live under His care and His, His supervision in this life and the next. And, and it is... And the, it's, they're severe in this life, and it's permanent in the next. 
So what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm talking about hell. Do you believe in hell? Yes, I do. Why? Why would a, why would a modern man appears to be educated beyond his intelligence believe in something as outrageous as hell? Well, there, there are a lot of reasons that I do, but the main reason is that Jesus believed in hell. I mean, listen to him. Let's look at listen to his own words here. Jesus describes it this way in Matthew chapter eight, verse twelve. You can look it up for yourself. He just call, he called hell the outer darkness that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He called hell in Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, he called hell the unquenchable fire. The consequences of rejecting Jesus are severe and eternal. So receive Him before it's too late. Receive Him before it's too late. Uh, The Bible says that when we... That, we, that all people come to faith in Jesus when Jesus calls us. Not just any time we want to. Uh, you say, well, Pastor, I've got plenty of time. I'll decide to follow Jesus when I get ready to follow Jesus. No, you won't. You don't get to decide that. It is clear in the teaching of Scripture that God Himself unlocks our capacity to respond to His call and and, and to place our faith in Him. And then He gives human beings evidently a certain uh, number of opportunities, a certain length of opportunities to be saved, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ, a certain number of chances to follow Jesus. And only He knows how many chances we have. Only He knows when we will say, and He does know this, when we say no to Jesus ultimately for the final time. But there is a final time. And then those chances stop. Those opportunities cease. Uh, the bus leaves at, at 5 and you might show up at 6. They stop. They cease. And then He weeps. And then He weeps over us because it's too late for us. He weeps over us because He takes no pleasure in this. He, he weeps for us because you decide to send yourself to hell for all eternity. So I, I, I'm just begging you, I receive Him before it's too late. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, the Scriptures say it this way, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Now the implication for you and me is this, that there may come a day when He may not be found by you. There may come a day when He is no longer near to you with this opportunity. So, so, what, will you, so what are you going to do? Here's another chance. What are you going to do? Are you going to squander one more opportunity this morning? Are you going to miss one more chance? If so, then one day Jesus may be weeping over you because now it's too late. He came at six but the bus left at five. I don't want it to be too late for you. 
You say, well, well, pastor, so what must I do? What must I do to be saved? Well, three things. First of all, you must repent of your sins. You must repent of your sins. That means that you admit to yourself and to God the reality that you are a sinful person. Not just that you commit sins, but there's something sinfully wrong with your heart and there's nothing you can do about it. And you grieve over your sin, over your breaking God's heart and, and, and not only God but others. And you want you turn from your sin to Jesus. It's like driving down a one-way street the wrong way in the city of Atlanta, and all of a sudden you notice all the cars are coming at you, and before you hit destruction, you turn and go in the opposite direction where life is. Just so, when we repent of our sins, we turn from our sin and turn to God through Jesus. First of all, you repent of your sins. Second of all, you believe in Jesus. That means that not only do you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins because of your sins, and that He rose from the dead proving that He had the power to forgive sin and He defeated death, hell, and the grave, but not only that you believe that, but that you tell Him you need it and you want it and you ask Him to apply that to you personally and you place your active trust in Jesus alone to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to make you okay with God, to give you His gift of eternal life. You repent of your sins. You believe in Jesus. And third, if you really mean it, you give evidence that you've done so by following Jesus publicly. That means that you... uh, you celebrate publicly that you're not ashamed of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, if you really mean it, we stand publicly to declare our faith in Jesus the way He designed it. It's called believer's baptism. That's what baptism is. We, we repent of our sins, we place our faith in Jesus personally, and then we say, I, I celebrate Him publicly, I want everybody to know I'm not ashamed of Jesus by being baptized. And you can do that. But that's how, you, that's how we know who means it, who go, whoever will go public with it. And so I want to give you the opportunity to make that commitment. Pray with me. Let's pray. I'm going to coach you through a prayer. If you've never done this, I'm going to coach you through this prayer. And you just from your heart, make this your prayer to the Lord Jesus. God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. There's nothing magical about these words, but this is a way of expressing this desire to turn from your sin, believe in Jesus, and be saved. You pray with me from your heart. Lord Jesus, I admit I have gone my own way. I have sinned with my thoughts and words and actions. I'm sorry for my sins. 
I turn from them now in repentance. I believe you died for me, taking my sins in your body on the cross. I thank you for your great love. Now I open the door of my life to you. Come into my heart and life, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and cleanse me from my sin. Come in as my Lord, my boss, my ruler, and take control of me. And I will serve you as you give me strength for as long as I live. Now let me speak to the majority of you who are already followers of Jesus on this Palm Sunday. You're, you may have been thinking, I'm glad I didn't miss the bus. I'm glad I didn't show up at 6. I'm glad I've, I've already prayed to receive Christ. Let me turn your look outward a moment to the people on your, your unchurched and unbelieving family and friends and neighbors who are on your prayer card, people that you're praying to come to faith. I, I, my prayer is that this truth from God's Word today would build a fire of urgency in you to know that their chances are passing by and that we cannot afford to be passive when it comes to loving people who are far from Jesus. May it, may it motivate you to step up your prayers for the people you've already identified. May it, may it motivate you to, um, to spend more time with them, to serve them, to genuinely love them, to walk with Christ before them, that they may see the appealing life of Christ in you, that you may share the gospel with them, that you may bring them with you uh, next weekend to Easter. That's my prayer. So Lord, thank You for hearing our prayers. Thank You for making a way for moral and spiritual foul-ups just like us by Your death on the cross. All of us sinners having a way to have new and abundant life. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.